Dave, what are you drinking? Nothing at the minute, Greg. I'm absolutely <laughs> parched. Oh, we'd best get some of our listeners to buy us some beer. Uh, if they go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash dads on film pod, they can sort that out. They could lubricate our lips and uh, get us through this podcast. Are you laughing because I said lubricate? Or lips? No. Um, you can get you can do this by visiting buymeacoffee.com forward slash dads on film pod. Buy us a beer for three pounds. Buy us a, a crate for multiples of three. Uh, kegs for I don't know 30, More 30 pounds, pounds, whatever. More multiples of three. Yeah, let's do this. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, we would. Thank you. Here's a podcast. At least we think we're funny. Uh, well, no, we don't do it. What's that noise, David? <laughs> I've got a little guest with <laughs> that, me this that evening. Ad- that Gregory. adorable noise. That adorable oh, noise. Man. I've heard this noise since bloody Monday. All day, oh, every day. Yeah, no. Um, Benjamin is joining us. He's he's knocking about in, in the background, watching Thomas and making oh, his love. How is he? He's noises. been a bit poorly, hasn't he? Yeah, he's all right now. We got um. So I, I don't know if you remember last week. I was full of a cold and stuff, and that just got progressively worse. And I, I feel like to tonight, <laughs> which is Wednesday, yeah. so well over a week since it started, I'm just feel like I'm coming out of it now. Um, okay. So Ben got it. Um, and his school basically said he can't come back in until, well, I, either he isolates for 10 days or he has to have a COVID test. Uh, trying to give, get a four-year-old autistic boy an, uh, a uh, COVID test is not a not a fun thing. I had to try and do it when he was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Shove well, a let... thing up his nose. <laughs> is that why you were cutting his hair? Don't you cut his yeah, hair? Yeah, 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 well? yeah, we do that as well. Um, so... Yeah, it's it's hard enough. It, it, it's hard enough with neurotypical yeah, six yeah, year olds. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's, um, <laughs> I feel, it's, it's awful. I feel like I'm. Like, you feel really bad because you literally get to the point where you're having to like pin them down, and mm, it's got to yeah. be traumatic for them. Mm. It's um, it's 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 not a pleasant experience for any parent having to having to do it with your kids. So, yeah. so you go for the isolation, are you? Well, we, no, we, I tried it and I did a PCR and sent it off. Yeah. <laughs> you can hear him, he's going nuts in the background. That's sent it off, um, but we've still not had a te- the text back and it's been, how many days has it been? One, a two, hey, a one, hey. two. Oh. I'm Dave. And I'm Greg. And we love watching films. Great films. Bad films. Blockbusters. Classics. Indie films. Cheesy films. Superhero films. But as dads, we especially love watching family films with our kids. So we've made a podcast all about it. This is Dads on Film. Oh, wow. Good God. But I really haven't had the text back yet. So, um... <laughs> is that what you were just making that up for the purpose <laughs> no, of no. going into our intro? Uh, I'll tell you what was really cute there. Old MacDonald had a phone. Yeah. So the, it probably so, won't do it now. Let me try. No. Ben, in fact, he definitely won't because he's got his iPad. So yeah, fair um, he, yeah. Just for explanation, you you sent me a little mm. video, a lovely little video of you saying to Ben, "Oh, McDonald had a phone," and he saw an EIO. Yeah. But which, yeah. like, you, I think you got to understand, like, for Ben, that's, that's it's really, a big. It was, that's it. It was a big, big deal, and uh, yeah. yeah. 
there was a lot, lots of tears in the house when he came home doing, came home last Wednesday doing it. Um, oh, so his his school's amazing. So he got he goes to a a specialist autism school, and I don't understand what they like what it is that they do, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it's hard to it's hard to hard to I, explain. I, but yeah, it's pretty yeah. pretty wild. And, and and I think maybe maybe all that they do is that they they do understand, and that, and that's it. They understand. Mm. They, they understand, and that's yeah. you know, and and it's probably just an environment where he and other sort of mm. non neurotypical children yeah. are able to just be and yeah, yeah. and that's probably we, the environment that they thrive in. <laughs> yeah. Obviously like we've we've spoke about this before, but for the sake of the listeners, it's like we we and I don't know why, it's just kind of the the thing. We we ideally wanted him to stay in mainstream school. Um, yeah. But we're so glad he's only been at the school now for what, six weeks, something like that. But we're so yeah. glad it's like the best decision we made, you know, choosing yeah, yeah. to send him to a, a specialist school and yeah, it's just it's just awesome. That's cool. There you go. There we go. Awesome. Cool. Uh, how's your uh, how's your how's your week been? Weekend yeah. and week been. Well done. Not not a great deal. But I think a couple of kids parties back to back on Sunday. Rock and we roll. went down to the um, the Blackpool um, Blackpool, not Blackpool. The <laughs> Matlock the Matlock Bath Illuminations. Oh nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matlock Bath <laughs> just down the road from us. Uh, pretty cool event with like a fair and. Uh, like these light up boats that go down the river and it's uh yeah it's awesome so that's mm. a nice spend the sunday evening and other than that not a great deal at all what about you just just sort of just festering in your illness yeah we had so many plans yeah. we were supposed to go to like leeds to meet chris and sue's trampolining we were going to the zoo with stewie none of that we literally couldn't leave the house because ben was so ill um, oh. yeah it was rubbish absolute crap so yeah, that's, I, that's I even fantastic. had to just go out at lunchtime. Took him out at lunchtime today to Starbucks. Just drive through Starbucks just yeah, to yeah. get him out of the house because the poor thing hadn't left the house since oh. Friday. It's Wednesday. Get it out. Get it all out the way before half term, and then yeah, uh, yeah, 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 nice yeah. half term week off. That'd mm, be cool. Definitely. Excellent. Right, what the hell is coming up on today? the show today? <laughs> You're asking me. Okay, right. Yes. Okay, well, coming up next, uh, we are doing this week's uh, movie train, which was fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Then we've got this week's film news. Got quite a few little nice, a lot of film little news, bits yeah. and bobs. Yeah, mm. what's going on? Uh, this week we are speaking to uh, filmmaker, director, producer, screenwriter uh, Rajiv Dasani. Uh, and he's chatted. We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, all the way from LA. We will get back on that movie train and uh, do that pick of the films that are on TV this week. Is that about well, cover it, Dave? We're also looking at the latest Jake Gyllenhaal film, The Guilty. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we'll we'll stick that somewhere in as well. (laughs) Completely forgot about that. Take a breath, because I can't. (laughs) We're diving in. Cool. So last week we took the old, jumped back on the old movie train. We left that uh, <laughs> that sort of narcotics theme of Durban Poison, and we are we are heading to the uh, Terry Gilliam uh, Hunter S. Thompson adaptation uh, of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Gregory. And uh, we said last week I've seen this film. I, I I've got lots of feelings about this film, and I've watched it quite a lot. And I've also read the book, but you'd never seen it, and I was very no. very interested to see 
what you think of this film because it's it is wild it's it's yes. pretty it's pretty crazy um and to some, it may be, what the hell did I just watch? That's, that was rubbish, but there yeah. may be a bit of an appreciation for it. But I'm really interested to see what, what you think of this film. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yeah, okay. So it's uh, set. It's based upon, upon the Huntress Thompson uh, book of the same name. Mm. And it was released in 1998, this book. So it's, uh, the novel was 1971. So mm. we've got sort of 26, seven years after the book came out. And uh, it stars Johnny Depp and uh, Benicio Del Toro as Raul and Dr. Gonzo. Yeah. And um, Dr. Gonzo is Raul's attorney. And what does he do? He's like a writer, isn't he? Yeah, um, he writes for Rolling Stone. He, he writes for Rolling Stone and... They basically drive a red convertible across across the desert to Vegas with a suitcase full of drugs uh, to cover a motorcycle race, and uh, they pick up Spider Man along the way, uh, <laughs> they, um, and they consume loads of drugs and uh, at a like quite a heavy rate. Um, they trash the hotel room because um, of fear of like legal legal repercussions, um, and uh, like it kind of goes away, goes wrong, and. Um, yeah, stuff happens, shall we say? Yeah, does that yeah. pretty much cover it? It's, yeah, there's um, no, there's no real discernible uh, storyline, kind of. I suppose yeah. there is, there is a bit of a, you know, there's an end point, yeah. but how they get yeah. there, who the hell knows? I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's it's written and directed by um, Python Terry Gilliam. Yeah, and uh, it's. It's pretty nuts, and it became it, it, at the time. It was you know it got mixed reviews from critics. It was it didn't do particularly well at the box office, but it's kind of had this sort of cult status since. Mm. And uh, it's and it, I've always been aware. It's one of these where I've always been aware of. It. It's something that I've, I'm going to have to watch at some point, and it's always I've kind of like put it off and put it off and put it off. Now I've done it. I've, I have to admit, I probably did it under the under the wrong circumstances. Mm. I was I was knackered on a Monday evening. <laughs> after a very long day at work and I put it on and it is bonkers it's absolutely yeah. bonkers and it's and it's sort of like incoherent and very tricky to follow really and uh, to, to kind of like you know keep keep track of what's going on um, but what you have got is two pretty awesome performances <laughs> yeah. from, from uh, Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro uh, as as the sort of lead roles, um, I it's one. Of, I've said this with a couple, a few films before, like where they've got such sort of high cult status, mm. and I've missed them at the time, and then I've watched them and kind of realised that it's one of them where retrospectively it's hard to it's hard to go back to it and appreciate yeah. for what it was in the same way with certain films, and I think perhaps this is one of them because it's kind of like. What a better way! I enjoyed it and I let it sort of wash over me, but I wasn't kind of gripped into it. And it's probably more weekend viewing. It's probably the circumstances under which I was watching it. But um, it for me, I wasn't I wasn't really feeling it. However, saying that, I can see how sort of how it's gained that following. It's a pretty iconic performance, uh, certainly from Johnny Depp, and and in. His performance, in a way, sets out the blueprint for many of his sub- subsequent roles mm, since yeah. then. In many ways, um, 
Yeah, so I, I kind of, for want of a better way, unfortunately, I feel quite indifferent about it. It's something I probably, I probably want to revisit sometime when I'm, I'm in a much better mood and I'm sort of, <coughs> oh, oh, oh dear. Sorry. Uh, and I'm sort of a more sort of open minded to it all. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I kind of oh, wasn't that. Here he comes. I'm gonna say I wasn't that fussed about it. Yeah, Hi Ben. He can't hear me. Hi to Greg. Ben, what did no. you think of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Ben, in your Christmas PJs. Um, Christmas PJs in Ben October. is what is the hell? Are you are you on some sort of CBeebies app? So, so I, I, where do you stand with Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Is it something you've I, held dearly? No, I, I, I'm I'm not precious about it. it I I thoroughly enjoyed it when I first watched it, but I th- I, again, I think I, I guess it wasn't it. in 1998. I'm guessing it was uh... no, but I don't mm. think it was that far off. You know what I mean? I was probably <laughs> I think I was probably about 15. You know, it, I I do remember it was it was an early DVD that I got, and it was because I I kind of looked up you know wild films you should probably watch and things like that so i'd, I'd track them down and, and, and bought these dvds so i do remember watching it fairly early on and kind of being, being like whoa what the hell was that but i was a big fan of terry gilliam at the time as well coming off mm. you know like uh, i i remember i got 12 monkeys for christmas one year and, and things oh, like that so cool. all these films are very slanted let's say um yes. so I, re- I was really like thoroughly enjoyed kind of almost like the the trip that it takes you on, you know, metaphor uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, intended. Um, so much so that again, I went and, and read the book, and they always said like it's a book that you can't adapt. It's it's imp- it's impossible to do. And he did a very very good job of it, considering again, there's no real story to it there. Um, I agree with you. The the uh, for me, it's all about the the performances. Johnny Depp and Benicio del Toro are just having an absolute ball. Benicio del Toro put on something like forty pounds for the role, which yeah, is like yeah. just absolutely nuts. He plays on that quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um and then I, I love that kind of like sixties Vegas aesthetic anyway, which is like I always yeah. enjoy that in, in in films. So yeah, you know, watch it for the visuals. If you're into kind of like you know, <laughs> like I don't know, psychedelic kind of films, yeah, you you're going to enjoy it. But don't come in thinking you're going to get like this this big fun Johnny Depp romp because it, it's yeah. not that type of film at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there we go. Cool. Would you say then, Gregory, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is Watership Down or <laughs> Hell Comes to Frogtown after a worldwide nuclear war where 68%, very specific there, Gregory, 68% of the male population was wiped out and virile men become a rarity. Sam Hell, a scavenger and highly virile man, is assigned to help rescue a group of fertile women kidnapped by humanoid frogs. So that was Watership Down or Hell Comes to Frog Town. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Maybe some I know you don't want to choose either of them, but uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean... This kid. I'm telling you, just, just, just for, just for why not? I'm going to go for Hell Comes to Frogtown, just to be difficult. Good for you, thank you. I'm going to go for Watership Down because why the hell not? Where the hell can we see this film, Greg? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is available to rent for about two pound fifty, three pound fifty on all the usual digital platforms where you can rent movies. <laughs> Good. What do you think, Ben? Nothing. Exactly. What are you trying to do on here? Oh dear. Old MacDonald had a farm. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ben. That was pretty poor, but yeah, there you go. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is the news. Excellent. Okay, cool. So, loads of news this week. Well, the past few weeks, we've had like zero news, but there's been bloody loads this week. First bit of news, we saw our, we've got our first few set photos of the Willy Wonka prequel, which Timothy Chalamet, it's just yes. called Wonka. Um we were like, oh, God, I'm not just not really feeling this. Like, I, I don't really see the point. I looked into it. It was directed by Paul King. Paul King directed both Paddington films. Ah, so it might be awesome. Um, and, a, and a, you know, a few other things before, but we bloody love Paddington, didn't we? It's great. Yeah, and, and he looks great in it. I mean, obviously, he's, he's very much based on, based on um, the original, what, what's, it, what's he called he played in uh, um, the original film? I can't remember. Um, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Yeah, it looks yeah. very much like <laughs> yeah. Gene Wilder's Wonka. Maybe. Yeah, so I kind of yeah. hope that's the way they're going down, the way they're doing it. He's a bit too good looking, almost. Yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a grotesqueness to uh, uh, Willy Wonka that I think is probably going to be missing slightly, but, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, second bit of news. Um we're, we never get away from Marvel news, so this is a little bit of Marvel news. So Guardians of the Galaxy, throughout the, the two Guardians of the Galaxy films so far, there's been teases of this big, big Marvel character called Adam Warlock, and he's this kind of like, I don't know, big sort of, um, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to explain it. He's amazing, okay, very handsome, very like powerful, amazing, amazing character. Um, yeah. And it's been announced that he's going to be played by Will Poulter, you know Will Poulter from uh, yeah, yeah, was British he in, like Son of Rams, Son of Rambo? Was he? Was he Son um, of Rambo? I think he was. Yeah, Will he? Poulter is in. Um, he's in Game of Thrones. No, he's not in Game of Thrones. No, he's in um, Detroit. Have you seen Detroit? Oh, Wild Bill. That's something I've seen recently. Oh, I've not seen Wild uh, Bill. Midsummer. Oh, in, oh Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, Midsummer. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bandersnatch. Uh, Detroit. He was really good in Detroit. Is that right? Dirty. Yeah. yeah. He's and, in Detroit. Uh, uh, no, I've not seen Detroit. It's really good. He's, really that's good. it. He's um, in Bandersnatch as well. But the yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, cast as Adam Warlock. So, the big, like, you know, nothing against the guy, but I would never have said that he would be the guy playing Adam Warlock. But cool. You know, he's a great actor. So, interesting, yeah. interesting take on it. It's funny because James Gunn, uh, obviously the director and writer of Guardians, he, he tweet, tweeted out... Um, I'm you, I, I usually like to come on here and sort of shoot down, you know, ridiculous rumours about my films. Um, but welcome aboard. <laughs> and then like tag, oh, tag Bill, yeah. welcome aboard, Will Porter, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, so there we go. Um, next thing we got the first trailer for Scream 5. There's a fifth Scream film. Wow. wow. And it's like, I don't know how this would work now with like technology because, you know, a mate's texting her. And then the, the landline rings. First of all, who the hell has a landline? Yeah. <laughs> like nobody has a landline, so that doesn't yeah. work. Um, and then a, a mate says, "Like you should answer that phone." And she's like, "What?" 
and then it's like it's not Amy on the text it was like well that's impossible um, and, and yeah. it's just like just <laughs> daft so whoever, whoever the character who is the hacker yeah, it, that they're yeah. going to be the killer. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so here's here's a theme that we need to run with, and we need to take ideas off people for. Right. Yeah. What old films would be ruined by modern technology? So yeah. the first one springs to mind. I, I know we're going to speak about Home Alone in a minute, um, yeah. but that's a big one, isn't it? Right? Yeah, yeah, modern yeah. technology, Home Alone just wouldn't wouldn't. Happen, no, not would at it? all. Um, but hmm. that's so that's another one. So think of like. Try and think of old films over time, or maybe throughout this episode. And, uh, I saw one, and it was about a Bond. I can't remember what the Bond film was, but it was, and it wasn't like it was. Maybe it was like Tomorrow Never Dies or something. And yeah. the whole thing of how this, you know, the big threat to the world was like GPS. I yeah. like the thing with like it's it's yeah. GPS. It's not a fuck. It's not yeah. a thing. Like it's not an, a big thing. But anyway, yeah, I'll have a think about that. That's great. That's quite funny. Um, yeah, okay, cool, brilliant. Um, yeah, so Scream 5, how ridiculous. Yeah. Next one was a um, really, really cool trailer and really interesting film. It's um, it's a Vertigo production, so Vertigo obviously have done a load of like great British films. Um, yeah. But this is the new Stephen Graham film called dun, Boiling dun, Point. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, dun, it's not called dun, it's called Boiling Point. And basically, he's a chef um, in like a, a top kind of kitchen in London, and it's taking place on basically what they call it's Mad Friday and it, you know, just before Christmas. Uh, mm. And it's the bit busiest night of the year. Um, but he's got loads of problems going on. He's, he's in debt. He's got a drug, you know, he's got addiction problems. He's got family problems, whatever. But he's this amazing chef. And the film yeah. is doing what by 1917 tried to do. And it's okay. trying to do it as if it's one take throughout this, yeah. this, this service, essentially, in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I think what they did, what they actually did was they filmed it over to two days uh, make you know and sort of hit all the cuts but I think yeah. I think that's a really really interesting way of you utilizing that kind of air quotes one take thing yeah yeah is yeah Love a dinner service yeah, yeah do yeah, it I in a kit a working kitchen and really so everybody's gonna have to be you know re- they're gonna have to know the stuff which reminded well, me a little seeing it it reminded me a little bit of chef Remember, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and at the end of Chef in the credits, the guy's actually showing him how to cook things in a particular way. I was like, you're yeah, really yeah. going to have to, you know, it's going to be but, hard to hide in the in the in in that sort of thing. Definitely. However, the original one is Goodfellas. And um, that's that went, yeah. through a, that went through a kitchen and through like, yeah, yeah, a yeah. restaurant. Sort well, of there's, 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 like there's, low, like, there's loads of even date back before Goodfellas. There's one called yeah. Touch of Evil, which is this old, old Orson Welles and um, uh, Charlton Heston sort of film mm-hmm. noir. And that's really, really impressive considering it was in like 1959 or something. And it's going through all these streets. I think it's maybe across like the California, Mexico border sort of thing. And it's it's really, really interesting how they do it actually. Um, So there's loads of them, but I think, yeah, in a a kitchen, that's a real, real cool, cool way to do things. Yeah. I'm always interested to know what the longest take is in reverse. Yeah, 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 definitely. How how long they can get to without cutting. And it's it's just, because it's not just... It's not just difficult for the um, for the director and the crew and stuff like that. It's for the for the actual performers, for, yeah. the, for the actors. Like, like they're out of pressure. You're under there. Yeah, definitely, right. definitely. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. So that that's called Boiling Point. It's coming pretty soon. So then that leads us now to Home Sweet Home Alone. 
Oh, okay. Okay. So we got the trailer for Home Sweet Home Alone, which is coming exclusively to Disney Plus in about three weeks. Um, so this is essentially a reboot kind of thing, reimagining of Home Alone, although there is a very tedious or tenuous link to the original film. Um, and what, the, the one that's given away in the trailer? Yeah, 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 yeah. Just um, like, come on. I mean, yeah. it's Archie Yates, who is um, Jojo Rabbit. It, not, he's, yeah. not in jo- he's in Jojo Rabbit, he's not Jojo. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, what an awesome kid. And do you know what? When, when I just watched Jojo Rabbit and it got announced that he was going to be the equivalent of Kevin yeah. McAllister in the new Home Alone. I thought, absolutely perfect. But now you watch mm. him in the trailer for this, like, he's got too old. He's, he's, he's too yeah. old for it now. Like, he's, yeah. he's a big lad. But that's the least of the concerns. Um, I mean, <sighs> you look at the cast, it's, it's a shame because like, I love Aisling B. Yeah, uh, I love everyone's Lee. kicking off over her accent as well because obviously she's got this beautiful, beautiful Irish accent, and they yeah. make they made her English in it, and the people are like, it just feels so wrong. But then <laughs> she's, she's posted ever since she's posted on Instagram like yeah. in retaliation, basically, basically saying, and she goes through loads of accents. It's proper impressive little video yeah. she does, but basically she goes in uh, to all those people asking why I've got an English accent. It's because the character is English. <laughs> Australian, then she goes into Australia, so, or the character is, and then she goes around the world doing all these different accents. And she goes, this character is English. Um, yeah, what is wrong? The, I mean, for me, the thing that's wrong with it is the fact that they've tried to make pretty much a scene for scene remake mm. in many ways, and yeah. where like, literally, like it's a remake um, yeah. with some some sort of subtle plot things changed, like instead of. I can't. Instead of going to Paris, I think they go to Tokyo. Yeah, um, and like little bits like that. Yeah. Uh, the the robbers. Um, it's Ellie Kemper, that, isn't it? And uh, Rob Delaney. Yeah, and Rob yeah, Delaney. So it's just. Oh, do you know what? Like, it's. I don't think it's going to go down well because people love Home Alone and yeah. Home Alone Two so so mm. much. And you, you can't just do that to classics like that and expect. I, th- I it to think go down I think it's just completely misjudged. I feel like from what we can, what I can sort of see, the 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 villains aren't sort of bad enough. It, it feels like there's like a mo. Like it, it feels like there's kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not a motive behind it, but. Yeah, there's, I, there's a bit more of a reason for them to be to be um, yeah. burgling. If that, is yeah. burgling a word? Um, and then <laughs> on the other other side of things, like <laughs> verb to burgle, verb, to burgle. burgling, Bur- burgling, present tense, burgling. <laughs> I'm burgling. I burgled. <laughs> it's more like a <laughs> I was burgled. Um, uh, but then, like at one point. Max is the this is the boy's name. He's got like a gun, which is filled up, <laughs> filled up with pool balls. Yeah. And I, I feel like in that's a bit too kind of malicious. And although in, in the original Kevin sort of swings paint pots at the heads and things like that, but there's something it a sets bit more fire to the heads and like permanently yeah, scars them. There's and... something a bit more DIY about that. Whereas this okay. is like he's, it's that feels like a weapon. I don't know. It's it's. Well, <laughs> I, I suppose really. Kevin does shoot them in the head, doesn't he? At one point, I don't know. Yeah. It it just we, feels we, a little bit more staged and a bit more. We will forced. definitely do. We'll do a so solid you on home, yeah. home sweet home alone in a yeah. few weeks when it comes out. And definitely our proper thoughts, but certainly from the trailer, uh, yeah, my heart sunk. 
Yeah, there not for me. There you go. Anything that's your else? News. No, that's it. it. That's your news. Yep. Great. Cool. Know? Okay, so released last week on Netflix is the latest Jake Gyllenhaal and Antoine Fuqua. Um, uh, collaboration. What's wrong, mate? I'm still getting it. <laughs> Still getting over this illness and Ben screaming in the background. Uh, yeah, the latest collaboration. They've worked together before on a couple of other things. I think Southpaw was one um, and something else. But this is The Guilty. Basically, um, a demoted police officer played by Jake Gyllenhaal is assigned to a call dispatch desk uh, and is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. Um, and the kind of, I suppose, air quotes, beauty of this film is the, major- the vast majority of it is Jake Gyllenhaal sat at a desk looking mm. at a computer, talking on a phone. Um, yeah. And there's something very, very captivating about that oh, for massive. a certain amount of time. Um, mm. well, yeah, and it's definitely a gimmick. Yeah. And that gimmick does run dry at a certain point. But for the first maybe 20 minutes, half an hour, I was captivated i was really really you know it was really engrossing um and i think it was a really great platform to for jake gyllenhaal to showcase what he can do and i don't have any doubts he's an absolutely brilliant actor amazing in majority well pretty much everything he's in some of the stuff he's in isn't great but he's always brilliant in it but this is a real real great platform for him to to do something a little bit different which i think um he definitely revels in, which is which is really really cool. Um, I think after that gimmick wears off, it's fine. The film, it's it's a fairly you know it's a bog standard kind of thriller, um, and you see a lot a lot of the sort of twists and turns coming, which you know there are some. The big thing for me though with this film is, I feel like it's trying to make a statement on issues with like you know police regulation and things like that in the US. Sure. Yeah. But it re- really it it kind of leaves it far too late in the day to really have an effect, and I feel like actually it wasn't that side of things wasn't really needed. If they were going to do it, they could have brought it far more to the kind of forefront of this film. It's it's kind of teased, and then they just leave it until the very end, and it's like oh okay, yeah, right, I, I get I, what I, you're doing. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it has got some underlying political agenda, which I, I mean, like you say, you don't really think about it until later on in the film because you don't understand why he's bound to desk duty, why he's been demoted. You know, it's mm. a, it's sort of um, this, it sort of alludes to it throughout, and then you sort of find out later on. Um, it's it's interesting. It's set so it's it's um, downtown LA. It's it's set well. It, you've got where the story's set, and you've got obviously you know mm. the, the setting of the film is ju- just in this call center, but it's all against the backdrop of um, Californian fires. Yeah, and, so. and, I, and I find that quite interesting, not least because that's not the important part of the film, and that's like, but but it creates some of the sort of difficulties mm. in in how he's sort of like navigating. Yeah, it's a good plot device, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good plot device. Um, it's, I mean, I said, I said to you, didn't I? I said it's his seven five zero zero or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was the Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, film we saw last year, entirely set in a cockpit. And 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 again, uh, similar to that, it's 
yeah, you're right. There's a certain, to a certain extent, there's a bit of a gimmick about it, but it's ninety minutes at the end of the day, and then yeah. and so it's it's no longer or shorter than it should be for a film of that nature. Um, also invoked for me, like um, you know, the memories of watching Phone Booth. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, that's a yeah, that, good shout. And it's that sort of intense, you know, single location sort of mm. drama, um, and and it does. I mean. I was watching it with Jane, my wife, and she was. She, we both really enjoyed it, but she kept going. I'm really frustrated. I want to see where the see what's happening. Uh, they're talking yeah, about because yeah, yeah. um, it. I mean, it occasionally, and I don't know why it did that. It yeah, did this, it, it does it like to once, do it. doesn't it? it? It kind of like shows this blurred footage of the person, the people on the other end of the yeah. phone, like once or twice, and either do it or just don't do it. And yeah, I don't yeah. quite understand why it kind of did this sort of mm. in between thing. Um, also, tell me this: is that really what nine one one call centers look like in the states? Because they look like bloody high tech and like I doubt it. <laughs> beautifully it's polished. Like, it's like ridiculous. a bloody space station, doesn't it? Absolutely, I doubt yeah. it somehow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's set to make other nations a bit jealous of them. Well, maybe. Um, I was reading. Um, some a crew member got COVID on like day two or something. Oh, that's it was only he directed directed it from a van. It was only eleven days filming, but yeah, the director yeah. directed the whole thing from a van outside with like screens and stuff, which is pretty cool. cool. Um, and I, I did like the kind of like guess who of who like guess who of voice cast. Well, um, I didn't think about going, it until oh, the end. Oh, who was that? Okay. Oh, yeah. I recognise that, that voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't even give it a second thought until the end. When mm. I saw the, saw the credits. I was like, no way, it's him. Yeah. So obviously, you got Ethan Hawke pops up right. as a voice, um, yeah. a frequent Paul collaborator Dano. with uh, Antoine Foucault. Paul Dano pops up as like a, a very small one. Bill Burr pops up for like yeah. you know. 20 seconds but the interesting one is um peter sarsgaard who is kind of one of the the, one of the more prominent voices in the film um but the the nice little connection there is that's jake gyllenhaal's brother-in-law in in real life um yeah so he's married he's married to rachel 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 Yeah, so there you go um so yeah you know i enjoyed it it was good fun like you say a good 90 minutes it's it's not as deep as it thinks it is, um, but you know there we go. Good fun. Would you say, Gregory, that this film is dread or poultry geist, night of the chicken dead? Oh right, okay. Uh, what was first one? Dread. Dread. I, I'll go for that definitely. I think the, the, it's so easy to recommend this because it's very freely available on Netflix. Mm. It's only ninety minutes, so it's not a huge commitment to anyone's time. I'd absolutely, if you're struggling for something to watch. Um, on any night of the week. Bang that on. Um, it's entertaining and you can't go wrong with it. Perfect. Good stuff. So, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had the pleasure of being joined over Zoom. By I will say, sorry to jump in, it was an absolute pleasure as well. It was a Absolute bloody pleasure. lovely chat. Absolutely Absolute lovely pleasure, chat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rajiv Dasani, who is an award-winning director and writer, uh, and he's had films and festivals around the world. And last year's film, Evil Eye, came out. But I mean, you'll, you'll hear us chat all about this. And but very, very interesting conversation we had with him. And it's we had this. It was a few weeks ago now. We were going to uh, drop this. Um, 
maybe last week, but you know, we think get got pushed back because of other opportunities that came up. We've got too much, Dave. We've got too much going on at the moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, we are, mm-hmm. yeah, and stuff in the pipeline as well, which is just getting more and more exciting. Um, mm. But I, I had a lovely time. This is a Sunday evening again. It yeah. seems to be our interview time. Because <laughs> it's for the people in LA, it's like half nine in the morning, and for us, it's like our roasts on, and we're like, "Oh yeah. God, okay." But then get into these really great hour-long conversations with these really interesting filmmakers. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, um, um, as ever, the um, um, the uncut version will stick on YouTube yeah. uh, for you to watch if you're interested. I think they start doing a Patreon, Dave, and start charging <laughs> people for these uncut versions. Um, but. It's about half an hour of us chatting to Rajiv Dasani. Enjoy. Cool. Award-winning writer and director Rajiv Dasani has films screened at festivals all over the world. His credits span various roles in film and TV production, and he went on to form a production and visual effects company with his twin brother, Ellen. Uh, We're pleased to have Rajiv join us on Dads on Film today. Hi, Rajiv. Where are we finding you? Where do you join us from today? (laughs) I'm in, uh, I'm in Los Angeles right now. So uh, you're very nice to meet you guys. So it's um, happy to be here. Thank you very much. Sunny Los Angeles as we're getting into our, our sort of <laughs> autumn, fall, winter now in, in the Absolutely, north of England. Yeah. Sadly, yeah, this this is the time when I'm, when I'm uh, happy to uh, live where I do because it is <laughs> yeah. beautiful year round. So I, I'm like, not, not to rub it in, not trying to rub it in. But... <laughs> so yeah. so I, I think... For us, it was it was tricky trying to sum you up in that intro there, Roger. Like, mm-hmm. with, with all the roles that you span and your sort of like um, your body of work, how, how do you introduce yourself to people and tell them what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know that, that's an interesting thing. I mean, I I do a lot of like general meetings in in Hollywood, and so there, there's always this dilemma of like, how do we kind of you know, my brother and I sum up our who we are, what we do. I the way I generally say it is that that I'm a writer and director but who has a background with a lot of other, I've worn a lot of hats over the course of the years. So um, I've like, I started with the love of film writing and directing, but as one does when I left film school, I needed to make money and I kind of pivoted to things to sort of like make a living while I was building up. And so that included um, uh, VFX producing and VFX supervising, uh, like running CG groups, um, doing VFX for, uh, mainly TV shows, but also films as well, and then transitioning. And that, it's weirdly, that transitioned me to then um, directing and producing international shoots. So doing, uh, you know, producing shoots for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Master of None, all this kind of stuff. And it's, and really that then led to us wanting to return to our love, writing and directing. So we made a short film and that kind of drew us back into the into that pond. And we've been there ever since. But in terms of like a very sum up, I would say I'm a writer director with a producing VFX background. It's how I tend to say it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you work both in film and TV, but I suppose the all important question there is, do you have a preference? And then what are the, what would you say the main differences are for you between working in film and working in t- in television? Of course, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I have a preference. Um, I work in both and I really do want to continue working in both. Um, that said, I think what I really look for in both is uh, great storytelling. And I think we, we live in an age where there is just exceptionally good television being made, as well as film. And in both mediums, you know, you can make great films or great TV, or you can make bad work. And I think the main difference is, is twofold. Um, at, 
I'll speak you know, first as a, as a writer and director. As a writer and director, um, uh, films can be a little bit easier to get off the ground. Now, easy is a relative term in Hollywood. Everything is hard, mm. but films are things that, that can be assembled and put together. Like, like Evil Eye, for example, it's like there's a certain way of, sort of you know, getting it made versus like a TV series. Inherently, a lot of things have to come together to make a TV series happen um, in terms of like the, the streamer or the network needs to have a certain hole in their slate. They have to, you know, it, it costs more money generally. They're, they're like the cast, you need a bigger cast that lasts for longer. So just the elements needed to assemble a TV series is quite high. Um, and so, the, you know, like that, that said, it's a wonder, I love with TV, the canvas to tell a story across a lot of episodes. Mm. I mean, film is very like, you're, you're trying to make something that really works in a package. Whereas like, and, and, I, and I'd say this too, not, not to go on, but like one of the like things I've noticed about even writing TV versus film is that when you write a, a TV series concept or a pitch, you're, you're trying to write something that can have legs like trying to write characters that one could imagine watching in a story that could continue for many, many seasons. Whereas with film, you want characters and, and storylines that can wrap up in a satisfying way. And that is kind of a, like the mindset you, you have when writing those two things is quite different, I suppose, at least for me. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. I'm interested in, with, with your sort of visual effects side of your work and, and CGI mm -hmm. and that, I, I, how, how much do you value that um, in, as part of the industry, uh, and I guess what I'm asking is sort of, um, is is it is it just a useful tool? Um, how much does it enable you? How much does it open up the possibilities of what you're able to do? But also, wh where do you see the limits as being? Uh, are we plateauing? Um, have we reached the limits, or is there sort of further we can go with the possibilities? Um, I'm so so I have a, you know, I have a graphics background. Um, many of my favorite films are are heavily uh, using visual effects and using kind of like I, I love films with very big wild visuals, whether it be District Nine or whether it be Aliens or whether it be so many things. Um, and uh, like my feeling on CG is that, as you said, it's a tool. And I think the mistake a lot of filmmakers make is that they they overuse the tool. Like I think it is it is something where the, the goal of what we're doing is to create something that that the audience buys, that they, that they believe and they understand. I think we haven't even remotely close to plateaued. I think we have a huge amount of um, distance to go, but I feel like the best filmmakers are those who really seek to understand what the tools are and how to use them effectively. Um, I think of like people who I think use them particularly well are like uh, James Cameron or Guillermo del Toro or Peter Jackson. It's like they, I, I, I feel like, Part of that is because they understand and have done them themselves. So like they understand how you use them very selectively. Because I, for me, VFX work when you, when you use them when no other tool will work. I mean, I, I, I tend to think of them as, you know, it's last case scenario. That said, it can often like save you a lot of money and you can do things that, that would have been a cost prohibitive. Like on Evil Eye, one of our, like one of our tools in the toolbox was how do you make New Orleans look like India. And so, you know, we weren't doing it every shot. We were very carefully dressing our sets to look like India and all this kind of stuff. But then, you know, just the occasional shot to really sell it, the audience doesn't need much. Like, like they, they can be sold something very quickly and then you can like not keep cutting to it. Like, like I think the kind of like worst kind of CG is, is empty spectacle where it's just there to kind of like be impressive and cool looking because audiences are too savvy. Like they, they've seen everything now. 
So just a bunch of cool stuff doesn't really do it anymore. Like it, CG work with tied to storytelling. It's tied to characters. And when that is done, it, it's fantastic, but it has to be tied and it has to be real and really directed artfully in that sense. Mm. So I mean, to add to that, you know, what you said there has got me thinking about, um, first thing that sprung to mind was um, remastering of the Star Wars films, for example, and mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the visual effects that have been weaved into that. And I mean, for me, that mm-hmm. often sits quite jarring against sort of like a film that was made in that period and you, it kind of mm-hmm. almost jumps mm-hmm. out there. I mean, wh- wh- where do you stand on... On, on, on that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very tricky thing because I, I mean, there, there's, um, you know, someone once said that, uh, you know, you don't ever finish a film, you're just told to put your pencil down. My kind of feeling on it is that, um, is that I understand the desire to want to make something better that was made with technology that wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think there is also tremendous value in where a film sits in, in its place in history. Like I love, the original Star Wars. I loved watching it with its original visual effects. I, mm. I will say personally, I, I do have a preference for the for the original visual effects because I think they're also incredibly clever. Like there are um, there are incredible tools and uh, tricks being used to make that work so well. And personally, I I you know I didn't I didn't need the the X wings to be CG in the original Star Wars. Now, that said, I think, you know, in, in the new Star Wars, there's a ma- amazing things being done, but um, I just feel like on the scope of history, I love knowing how things were done like back in the day and how things are done now. And just sort of, I love learning about, about new techniques, but I also love just learning how good things can look even back in the day. Like I always think of like, um, you know, Terminator 2 or Jurassic mm, Park, like yeah. they look spectacular. And I've watched them recently. And, and part of why it looks so good is because those two filmmakers really know what they're doing in terms of, of what you show and what you don't show. Mm. Um, and I think if, if, if you were to come back today and, and remaster all the visual effects in Jurassic Park, I think it would actually like be a disservice to the amazing work done at the time. Um, and, you know, just, just for my money, I personally think the original Jurassic Park looks better than just about any of the other ones that's come since. Yeah. And it's sort of a fascinating <laughs> thing. That's the case, you know, it's a... Uh, which is not just, I'm not to rag on those films. It's just that, like, I think Spielberg really, he he deployed, you know, he knew how to use night. He knew how to use selective shots. He knew how to, when to cut away. He did have huge practical effects that I think were like, like the, the T-Rex mouth, like crashing on the car. That's something that I think today would likely be done with CGI. And that's kind of too bad because it looks so good. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no completely agreed. Agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Consensus, we all agree with what <laughs> you just said. <laughs> um, fantastic. So you mentioned Evil Eye um, a, a few mm-hmm. times. So I think we we spoke off air about this, but that was my introduction to your work, and I've really enjoyed going back and looking mm-hmm. through some of the other mm-hmm. things you've done. Um, one of the things that kind of took me, and this was one of the first times I've kind of seen this before, is Evil Eye's based on an audio book, uh, mm-hmm. if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about the kind of inception of, well, sure. the inception yeah. of that project for you? Absolutely, for sure. Um, so, um, um, Evil Eye was, was written by, by a playwright named uh, um, Madri Shekhar. She's based in New York. Um, and uh, she, she's wonderful. She's, she's a brilliant writer. Um, and it, you know, um, because an audio play is like a 
Um, it's like a play, except that it really is designed purely to be listened to. So, so she really wrote that um, as an, as to be downloaded and, and listened to at home as a thriller. And and it was the the original play was entirely phone calls, like it was one hundred percent phone calls end to end. Um, and basically, Priyanka uh, uh, Chopra um, Jonas's company first optioned it, is my understanding, and then. Um, Amazon and then Blumhouse, I think that was the order, came on board. And basically, we came in actually once all those players were in place. So she had already written um, a script, and we came in and then gave her some notes on it, and you know that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but we basically pitched as directors on it and, and came in. And really, our main job was figuring out how do you take something that was really designed to be an audio format, and how do you make it cinematic? Um, because it was, you know, as, as you can imagine, if you have no visuals, everything has to be said. Like any information has to be conveyed through words. <clears throat> but there's an old you know, film saying everyone says, which is show, don't tell. But if the entire play is telling, then mm. you, you, you have to, have to like, you know, reverse engineer the show, so to speak. Um, and Madre had already done some of that work and then we kind of did some more of it in terms of making it pop up the screen and, and thus the kind of flashback sequences. And yeah. we have these very elaborate, like, um, like underwater sequences that are meant to kind of mirror uh, mental states and like, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but that's kind of where it came from was that like we were brought on to kind of figure it out. And I think, I think we kind of, you know, we mentioned CG earlier. This is part of where I think, you know, I, I say this to other filmmakers out there where having a lot of tools in your toolbox really helps because part of our pitch coming in was, was not just from a storytelling standpoint, it was from a, like, it was going to be shot primarily in New Orleans and then, you know, with a small bit in India. And we came in knowing how to both use visual effects to make New Orleans look like India and, and having experience, having done that a lot, we could pitch exactly how to do that. Um, and then we also could say for the international pieces, this is how we, this is how we do those. Like this is how we cost effectively shoot the India pieces and still have them in the movie. And I think those are harder things to say if you've never done it. Whereas like, you know, because I've shot in, you know, like 45 countries, I sort of just know, my, you know, including India prior to Evil Eye, I could very definitively say, I know exactly where we shoot this. I know who we work with, with the, you know, with the CG, um, you know, like for example, it's like have two windows on your set, have blue screens, but then the other ones are just practical. Have the curtains drawn at certain times so you're not constantly doing CG shots. Mm. Um, like just like very specific things that I learned over time uh, on how to both make it look good and also how to save money. Because at, at some point, any film, whether it be four million or four hundred million, there will be certain things that have to be cost savings. Like I was talking to a friend who's who's on a three hundred million dollar movie right now, and they're like talking about like how they can't hire an extra gaffer on a shoot, and it's like wow, it's like any size of film will, will scale. It's like a balloon. It will fill to fit the space, mm. you know? So, <laughs> wow. yeah. Wow. Wait, so, I asked this question to quite a few of our guests at the moment. So I'm interested, particularly with you as a filmmaker who, whose work is so visual. Um, <clears throat> with, the, with the sort of development of streaming services um, and almost, pa you know, pandemic and COVID aside, um, where do you see sort of the future of cinema? Do you see cinema and streaming services something, two things that can sustainably sit side by side um, for film mm -hmm. distribution? Um, and can they benefit each other? Or is one a threat to the other? And and I suppose what with that, um, as a, as a filmmaker, um, is it important to you for your work to to make it to the, to be on the big screen and be, be available mm -hmm. to see on the big screen? Mm -hmm. 
You know, um, it's a very good question. And a lot of filmmakers these days and studios as well, I think are really grappling with this of how do you address the film versus the, the, the streaming platform versus theatrical. Um, I think it's, it's, they're, they're not a threat to each other. I mean, I, I feel like anytime, anytime, you know, a new technology comes along, there's always this kind of like doom and gloom scenario where, where people are like, oh no, so-and-so is going to kill so-and-so. I just don't personally think that's going to happen. I, I I think there's a value to the experience. I feel like all this does is it breeds innovation. I mean, I think the biggest thing streaming has done in a good way is that it it has it has elevated diverse voices. It's it, it's elevated and also diverse stories. And like when I say diverse, I don't just mean like gender and ethnicity and like LGBTQ. I mean like that that movies and series can be made that they can target audiences in a more specific way. So like, I love that we're getting, you know, shows like we are lady parts or Fleabag or um, I don't know. There's so many things where I don't know if if these kind of shows would necessarily have been made or have been so successful if not for the streaming platforms. So I think that's their real benefit. Um, Now that said, I love the theatrical experience. I love going to the theaters. I definitely want to make movies for the theaters. Um, and 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 I, I I do think there's more than just giant blockbusters that can and should really work at the movie theater. But that said, like I think all this does is breed innovation. Mm-hmm. I feel like it means the the theaters have to offer experiences that really make it worthwhile to to go out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, it it you know it means that any filmmaker making a film has to kind of uh, you know do their best to figure out what to do and, and and how to target. But that said, I mean, honestly, it's just so, so, so difficult to make a movie. It's so hard to to get something off the ground. It's it's um and so in that sense, like I understand the desire to kind of preserve one versus the other, but it's a miracle any movie gets made. I, I really feel like any movie. And 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 so in that sense, I don't, I mean I I feel like like if a streamer is financing your movie, Go make the movie and just make sure it's fantastic. Make sure it's really good because that's how a movie can break out if it's really good. And if it's not breaking out, I would usually say it's because it's probably not good enough to break out. Um, and I would, you know, and I, I shine that very critical lens on myself. Like I, I, I have a very healthy sense of imposter syndrome, and I kind of just like always shine a flashlight on my own work of like, is it really good enough? Is it going to break out? And if it doesn't break out, I'm always asking myself, why? How could it have been better? Every concept I pursue, I'm actively thinking, how does it fit in the marketplace? Where could it, like, it, it's not just, is it a good movie? It's, it's why would someone make this? And what hole does it fill in the world, so to speak, artistically? So I don't know that's, if that answers that, it, but it's... No. it's it's, it's a lovely, yeah. it's, it's a lovely optimistic output on the industry. I think, I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, outlook, <laughs> sorry, on the industry. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Well, let me say too, it's like there, there's, I have one truism across the business that I, that I take into every meeting, every general, any, any movie of everything, which is that everyone wants to make money. And so if you walk into every meeting trying to figure out how do I make someone money, I think that's, that's how you basically pursue the business. And so like, that's how the business will shake out. I mean, it is called the business for a reason. Like theaters will survive by figuring out how do I make money? Filmmakers who want to play theatrical will, you know, will survive if they figure out how does what I do make theaters money? How does it like, it's like if that question, I think if you put that at the forefront of your mind and I'm not saying don't be artistic, like, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying don't make good movies, but I think you just, it's like, if you always have that at the front, 
it really helps people because they now feel some confidence. Okay. Like it's not just this guy wants his movie to play in a movie theater. It's he wants it to be successful. He wants the rising tide to lift all boats because that's sort of, I think that attitude is how you survive in this business, in my opinion. So, <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, amazing. Fantastic. So, um, mm-hmm. I wanted just to briefly, well, not briefly, I wanted to talk about uh, your mm-hmm. 2017 short film, Seam. Um, mm-hmm. Breathtaking short film. Yeah. Lots, <laughs> lots of, you know, lots of things that I noticed. And actually from some of the things you said, I went, when we were when I first watched it, I was getting kind of almost like District 9 vibes a little bit to mm-hmm. a certain extent. And obviously you mentioned District 9 earlier, which is quite interesting. Um but I'm, I'm interested in the kind of the production behind it, where it kind of stemmed from. And then if we're kind of going too far, but there's I've heard kind of rumblings online about a potential feature called Sleeper. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can tell us anything about that as well. Or if that's hush, hush or whatever. But if you just tell us about Seam, that would be brilliant. Sure, yeah. sure. Wow. I, I'm, now I'm curious. I, I had no idea actually that that is the title of the feature script. I didn't, I didn't know it had released, been, been released online anywhere. So that's, the, that's the, I'll, I'll the <laughs> check IMDb. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. Wow. So uh, I'll look that up. Um, uh, yeah. So, well, well, I'll start with kind of where it came from and then I can jump yeah. to the forward. But um, so uh, basically seem weirdly. So, so where seem came from was after a number of years of, doing the effects and international producing and directing, um, we reached, my, my brother and I reached this point when we were like, we, what we love, what we want to be doing is writing and directing. And I think what, what we kind of knew or, or what we decided was that the only way we're, you know, we're, we're really gonna do it is by creating something that both really is everything that we are, like our brand, our like, kind of work that we wanna do and really jumps out like, like something that just like is like a lance upward um and that was that's really where scene came from like like we looked for a story that was both intimate that spoke to themes in a big way we were very inspired by you know you mentioned just design I, I, and like like that's a big touchstone for us like, like that honestly that that movie more than almost anything i can think of recently rode that line between about something very interesting and being incredibly um, commercial and visual and kind of like um, grabbing in an audience way. Like it, it really did like do this combo. It's so difficult to do, but it's everything I aspire to. Like you know, when I think of the movies I love, whether it be, you know, Arrival or um, a Looper, like, like these are all films that I think do this well in terms of like doing something that an audience can get but also that like artists also see real depth and, and you know, thematic value. And so that's kind of where it came from you know, on a general level. Um, and then uh, we shot in Jordan because I've shot there uh, many times for other shows. Um, and I love shooting there. I've had a lot of, you know, they have very good crews and just it's a wonderful landscape as, as you saw in the, in the film. Um, and also it, it really, we very specifically targeted themes about conflict and the idea of like inevitable conflict, which are present I think more than ever um, right now, but es- but especially in the Middle East, it's something that they've grappled with. This you know this idea of can certain conflicts ever be resolved, or or are they just inevitable? And so we kind of took this idea but applied it, like like and and, and did this idea of taking a you know um, machine human war lens, but using it to talk about this very real conflict in the world, um, and then of course combining that with our visual effects background to really go for broke as, as you saw. And, you know, we really did, 
go for broke, so to speak. Into the, <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, you know, but, but really it, it was like, um, uh, that was achieved by leveraging relationships we already had with existing uh, VFX companies, we, you know, with our own uh, artists, like, like a lot of things combined you know, um, with that in order to, to pull off something of that size. Because we really wanted to show that we can achieve blockbuster visual effects and they can look absolutely fantastic. Um, and that's kind of where it all came from. It, it was like all these elements together. And we really lucked out um, with our actors because the, the two leads are both like very well-known actors in Jordan. Um, and then uh, Odette Fair was a friend of ours who yeah. we've met on Covert Affairs and um, he's phenomenal. And really, I mean, that was a favor he did for us. It was just, wow. was, it was one day of shooting and that was the only piece not shot in Jordan was, was the uh, interior of the, uh, of the base basically was shot yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, uh, but it was great. I mean, Odette came in for one day, you know, uh, helped us out. And, uh, but he's also the kind of actor who like, he doesn't come in without giving it like a thousand percent. And he's yeah. just, he just came in and blew the doors off and it was, it was amazing to watch, but, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of where it came from. You know, the, the post was very complicated <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. We released seam on a Saturday and we kind of emailed a few outlets at IO9, you know, letting them know we had some write-ups about us, but like three days later, um, uh, someone from Netflix, like emailed us and was like, Hey, I like your short, give me a call. <laughs> and basically just want, said they were looking for their first Arabic original. And, uh, we, we offered, we basically came back in two weeks later, pitched se several pitches for TV series. And basically two months after that the series was greenlit. And a month after that, I had moved to Jordan to open the writer's room on, on gin. I mean, you know, if you look at it, like, so scene came out in 2017 uh, mid 2017 and 2018 January is when I landed in Jordan and I spent the entire year of 2018 in Jordan making that series. Wow. So wow. it it wow. was an absolutely wild ride that that little um, period. But um, and then you know like jumping to the end of your question, um, yeah. So basically, uh, we we have a feature script and we we are basically uh, talking to some interested parties about about putting it together. We're trying to find the right. You know, I, I, as you can imagine, it's not a um, small film like mm -hmm. like a feature film version of it large. And so I think we're just trying to find the right, the right combination of people who, um, and, you know, and, and just like how, how much to make it for, who to make it for, um, what kind of actors I, you know, I think the like trick with seem and you know, without going too much into it is that, you know, it's, it's, do we, do we target, like, there's always a question of like, do, do you attach like kind of like big name, quote unquote talent? Like, like, do you try and go after the, like the Tom Hardy's of the world or like something like that in order to star, to sort of, you know, the Riz Ahmed or something, which would be fantastic. Or do you kind of try to go a little more of the like District 9 route where it's someone yeah. relatively unknown and the kind of concept in the film kind of, and, and the, the producers speak for itself versus the, the talent, um, yeah. the, the cast. And I think that's still a, an open question right now. I'm, I'm honestly not sure how it's going to break out, um, but I'm, I'm hoping it will get made um, soon and, you know, I, I've learned in Hollywood never to give any kind of timeline because you just, it's just <laughs> like, it's like you're, you're basically willing fate to violate it. <laughs> so cool. um, I'll just say I'm, I'm hoping it's sometime soon. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So, really excited. Well, we'll, we'll be knocking on your door uh, that hopefully gets, you know, however long if it course, gets released yeah, and uh, going to I, chat about I'm, it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love um, get, get to the different sort, sort of, um, 
benchmarks where I can sh- introduce my kids to films that I loved gr- growing up. And I sort of, you know, I look for like last Christmas, I, I was able to sit down with my son and put Home Alone on. And it was just a magical oh, no. moment for yeah. me. And, I got, and it just it took me back to that sort of same feeling as I had growing up. Uh, I, I'm interested about sort of the the films that um, that captured you growing up and um, what, what, you, what was sort of formative for you. And... Um, mm-hmm. What, what have you shared with your own kids and what do you look forward to sharing with your kids? Sure. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a complicated question right now because it's like um, they're, they're right at the age when like, I'm, they're sophisticated enough that I feel the urge to show them more adult stuff. But at the same time, I'm also aware that like, you know, you can get caught up with that and accidentally go too far. Um, sure. And I would just say like, you know, just, just if I had to, to compare my, my ex and I, I would say she's a little bit more conservative in terms of what, she feels comfortable with them watching than I am. Um, And so, um, so like for me growing up, like, like I, I love films that kind of transported me to like a different place. And that sometimes meant in a uh, big, cool, epic way. And and like sometimes in a very intimate way. So, you know, things like I grew up on, on the Goonies, I grew up on um, uh, Indiana Jones and Star Wars were, were like big touchstones for me. But I also found that like some smaller films, like I'm, I'm just trying to remember, I mean, I saw some dark stuff early. Like I remember watching the the professional when I was like in like 12 or something. Like, it's like, you know, some, some things that, that were probably a little too old for me or like aliens mm. um, were like, you know, and, and so it's like the, and, and I, you know, it's like, I think I, um, so in terms of what I want to show them and, and then later, by the way, I think real and informative wise, like Lord of the Rings was a, was a big one for me. And obviously I you know, mentioned district nine. And then I also think of, of, being really taken by tiny films that had a huge impact. So like this Japanese film Afterlife, for example, was, was it's like one of my favorites or A Man on the Train, the French film, or like these, these smaller um, independent style films, I think also showed me that mix. And so I think what I've been trying to show them, like we've, we've watched like all the Marvel movies, for example, and like we've, we've uh, you know, um, but it's been funny. Like I've started to show them some older films that I love that I think, they would love. So like we watched Galaxy Quest the other night, for example. And um, that was, that was a huge hit. I, I was actually, I was, cause they've never seen Star Trek. So they don't have any, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they don't get any of the touchstones of like, of what it's satirizing, but it's just such a well-made movie. And the characters, like, I think that's a real testament that it, it works despite having no knowledge of, of, of Star Trek, one of those stuff means. Um, and, um, but I, I look forward to, you know, like we haven't done, we did the matrix with my son, which was even that was a bit adult because a lot of, a lot of like shooting and killing and like, you know, that kind of thing. But it really did like, that's an example of a movie to me that was like a huge touchstone for me. And I think rides that line really well between incredibly uh, entertaining and compelling, but also thoughtful and having, having like making him think about things in a, in a more sophisticated way. And that's, I think what I'm always looking for is like, what are films that, that can do both those things? I've been trying to avoid showing him things that are just empty nonsense, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I look forward to showing him aliens. I look, I really look forward to showing him Terminator two, um, <laughs> and, and Terminator as well. Like, it's like, you know, I'm like, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Like, you know, I think he'd love gladiator. It's just, you know, the, these are, these are pretty violent films. And, you know, I'll say this too. What's been interesting is, is I have seen that he's, he's, he's game for anything. Like he'll say, I'll watch anything, but then like we, like he's seen all their Marvel movies and had no issues with any of them. 
But then we started watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier mm. and that one was a little too adult for him. And he actually, he told, he literally said to his mom and I, like, I think this is a little too much for me. I think I need to turn it off wow. maybe when I'm older. And, mm. and that was, I was actually really respected that. But then like he loved Loki. Like it was like, yeah. it just, it, you know, it all depends on, on like what, but I think it, it was interesting how Falcon and Winter Soldier especially kind of, it, it got serious in a way that was a little more serious than even the average Marvel movie. And that was it's like, bit, you know, it's a bit more as, as, as preposterous as this sounds for a Marvel movie. It's a bit more grounded Falcon and Winter yeah. Soldier, a bit more real, <laughs> isn't it? Where compared to Loki, which yeah. is completely totally. out there and mind bending. So it does totally. make sense. Uh, yeah. I, I, I see that. Totally. Definitely. definitely. Totally. Brilliant. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you for that. So bef- before we let you go, obviously we, yeah. Um, from what we've seen and um, we've you know we've we've loved everything you know that, w- that we've seen so far and uh yeah. f- for me again not to keep going on about seem just it was really really epic I, I absolutely loved it it was fantastic oh so yeah i'm just really really curious as to you know what what's next what can we see you sort of mm. working on next or in the mm-hmm. future sure yeah of course yeah yeah um so uh, uh, as one does in Hollywood, I, I have a number of things that are in, in development and we're hoping to kind of get them over the line from Greenlight uh, relatively soon. The, the pandemic has been, it's really changed everything. Like it's really been a, just a whole different animal of um, uh, like the industry has changed and how things are put together. Um, but uh, I'm working on, so, so we, have a, we have a military thriller with like a supernatural aspect that we're the work that were uh, um, script is written. We're just doing revisions now. Um, we have our lead. I can't t- talk details beyond that, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> but I'm hoping to shoot that early next year, or maybe late next year, or mid next year, depending on timing. But that one's definitely sort of like a you know, bigger jump. Um, there's uh, three different TV series that we kind of have in various stages of, of, of development, and. Um, uh, I, I'm being vague because I can't, I can't, but, um, but I would say in terms of like what we're, what I'm hoping to do, like the, where we're kind of going is like, I, I think we would love to emulate the careers of a Denis Villeneuve or of yeah. a, a Corona or, um, you know, that, that kind of thing where like, we'd, we'd love to kind of have, having, you know, keep doing smaller movies, but kind of leveling off each, each time, like, like the next movie we do, as of now, the budget's about three times Evil Eye's budget, and it involved a lot more action, a lot more visual effects, a lot more, you know, and like, I, I'd love to keep climbing that ladder. And I think for me, that means aiming primarily at uh, just smart, elevated genre. So, so I think what you'll hopefully mostly be seeing from us are things like elevated sci-fi, elevated supernatural, um, that kind of thing. And elevated is like a buzzword now, but it's it is kind of a thing like it is, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, so I'm hoping that gets made and um, yeah, as well as seem as well. I mean, seem, I think I, I have a feeling if I had to guess, I think seem would be the next would be the film after the next one that we do. I think we'll do this, this next one be a military thriller. And then we would go from that into seem, I think is the sort of hopeful plan, but it's, um, it's just hard to know uh, what ducks will come together, you know. Thank wow. you so much for the time you've given us this evening. Um, of course. Rajiv Dasani, thank you. Um, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure and a joy. Yeah. And um, good luck with uh, making Sleeper a reality. We look forward to, <laughs> uh, we look forward to in however long, no you know, maybe speaking about that down the line. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the invite. I, I really, it, it was a lot of fun. Cheers. Thank, thank you so much. <laughs> So a big thanks again to Rajiv for taking his time and having a good chat with us. We're going to link in the description to his short film, Seam, uh, and I really, really cannot recommend it enough. It is 
pretty breathtaking yeah. and i'm super super excited for when they finally make a make it that feature of of, yeah. of see because wow it's going to be something special definitely so yeah massive thanks again to rajiv uh yeah cool Chugga chugga, all aboard that movie train, Greg. So last week, uh, well, this week we are at the uh, Johnny Depp, Terry Gilliam, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas station. Where are we going next week, Greg? What line are we taking? You tell I mean, me. It would, have been, it would have been very easy to take the Johnny Depp line and we could have gone to all sorts of places. Um, but we've decided to take the Terry Gilliam, Terry Gilliam yeah. that line. Uh, yeah. To the to the, the Python line, uh, to the well, to Life of Brian Station, yes. and uh, I for one cannot wait to go back there. Uh, what an, what a great excuse to revisit oh. something that's so timeless, so so timeless. And uh, we mentioned um, we mentioned Python the other week, didn't we? When we were looking oh, at yeah. Green, Green yeah. Knight, and I mean, I just I think that sort of demonstrates sort of like the, how timeless Python is. And how how still fresh and current uh, that that sort of humour is, and it's it just holds up so well. And I think yeah. I think the beauty of Python is when you compare it. So the kind of surrealness or the like, the surreal comedy of Python is so timeless because it's so yeah. weird and wonderful. If you compare it to something crap, another kind of crap, a crap sitcom, Mrs. Yeah. Brown's Boys, or some absolute oh, tosh like that. It's so it's that tries to be so current and like lazy oh. jokes about like oh, I don't know Brexit or what or bullshit you know whatever. That's why Python works so well because it can't. It's so weird. It's it, it works anywhere, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I love that. And I, I love how they kind of got the the odd comedy thought. Let's let's apply it to I've, Jesus. I'm just <laughs> great. I, I've just had a flashback. Oh yeah, and, and such a brave thing to do at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because it just wasn't like, yeah, it didn't go down that well with, with a lot of people at the time. No. But I've just had a flashback to being in your caravan in Spain, <laughs> watching, watching, and now for something completely different. Oh wow! Yeah, um, yeah. And I don't know whether you had the DVD or what, but like, one of us, I think maybe Mark had it. Yeah, yeah. They were contractually obliged to make that film. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, is. It's just a, a, re- a remake of all. Well, they refilmed all their old sketches from Flying Circus and then released it um, yeah. as a as a film. <laughs> Great, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and then we've not well, we've not even spoke about uh, Mean in a Life, but maybe we talk about that next week. That's yeah, a, that is a a trip. That one. But there you go. Where can we watch the Life of Brian, Greg? The nineteen seventy nine classic, The Life of Brian, is available on Netflix. Excellent. Is it? Yeah. Isn't oh. It? oh yeah! Ah, yeah. oh, wonderful! I will definitely be watching that. Cool, good stuff. On the box. All right then, Greg. What the hell is on the box for you this week? Well. I'm going to go a bit different. I'm not going to go for a film that I've seen before. It's a film that I'm genuinely going to set my set-top box to record 
in preparation okay. for what's coming up. So I am very intrigued by uh, the new Venom film, which comes out next week. Mm. And uh, I'm yet to see the first Venom film, 20, uh, 2018. Uh, it's 9, nine o'clock on Channel 4 on Saturday. So I'm going to give it a watch in preparation just because I'm inevitably going to go and watch it. Watch uh, Let There Be Carnage next week. I, know I am really considering not watching Let There Be Carnage. Are you really? But uh, yeah, I, I mean, right. well, I'm intri- I, I want to know. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see what you think about uh, yeah. th- this Venom okay. film. Maybe uh, don't hold off until next week and let me know what you think about yeah, Venom because yeah, then yeah. that will determine whether we go and watch the Carnage film or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> yeah? I'll okay. watch else on these days. Right, so go on. What are you watching this week? I, think I am going to watch on ITV2 on oh. Sunday at 4 o'clock, Casper. 1995's Casper. Get into that Halloween spirit, I suppose. Um, mm. I love Casper. It's great. It feels yeah. like an Amblin film. It may even be an Amblin film, but it feels like that kind of Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg produced it, I think. Um, so it feels like, you know, E.T. It feels a little bit like, you know, the Goonies and things like that. There's there's a charm to it, which is pretty great. Um, yeah. yeah, so Casper. What four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Bloody it brilliant. Is an, it is an Amblin film, yes. It is. Oh, nice, cool. Yeah, so it yeah. does feel like an Amblin film, because it is. Excellent. <laughs> cool. Well, let us know what you guys are watching on the box this week. How is your weekend looking, Gregory? It's looking bloody fantastic, David, because on Saturday, we've got a nice Saturday. day sesh booked. Um, yes. I get to spend it with you and yeah, Stu boy. and Lever and Rich and Mark, and we're going yeah. beer tasting. And, yes. Well, and, and so much more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well excited. I'm well uh, excited. Kids are shipped off. Well, my, my, my wife's out on the Saturday evening, so I was going to have to like rush back. Um, but my kids are out having a sleepover with grandparents now as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm just buzzing. You bastard. Buzzing. You bastard. I think our, uh, I think all grandparents are taken up on Saturday, so I think I, I may, and also if I'm feeling crappy as well, but I may have to do a fairly early dart to get back to help with the kids. But uh, I think we'll be well on our way by that point. So that's all Absolutely. good. Yeah, boy. And then I, th- uh, I think we're possibly going to try and do the zoo after it, but it's all going to depend not on the same day on Sunday. <laughs> I was uh, say, but, it's all, but it's all going to depend on little Benjamin, who's now very yeah. tired. Um, well, yeah. So, thank you, thank Excellent. you. Password, as we forgot it last oh, week. Right, okay, what sure. about Home Alone? But we'll we want real Home Alone stuff. Yeah. Yes, okay. Home, Home yeah. Alone. Home Alone. Good is the password. Home Alone. Fantastic. Home alone. Um, well thank you everybody for listening you can buy us a beer at buymeacoffee.com forward slash dads on film buy us a beer ready for Saturday ready for Saturday yeah definitely Uh, follow us on Facebook Twitter Instagram dads on film pod Uh, send us your messages send us your reviews send us questions you know uh, Mark sent us a really good question but I'm going to save it till next week um, it's a it's a Harry Potter related question, but we'll okay. get All to right. that next week. Okay, yeah. good, good, right. good. good. Right. So, good. thank you everybody for listening. Lovely to see you, yeah. Gregory. Um, ben is good night, Ben. Definitely going to go to bed. He 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 says good night. Oh, he's coming over. Oh, he can sense me. <laughs> cool. 
Right, lovely to see you. And uh, yeah, goodbye, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.